Ooh, all right. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to um, the House of the Dragon. Um, uh, that's uh, that's the the title uh, today, and that's the theme song I borrowed from. Um, uh, so let me back up a little bit. We are gonna we are gonna see uh, uh, some dragons uh, today. I, I promise you that. <laughs> but let me back up a little bit um, and do a little bit of self promotion because it's sort of on topic. So I wrote this book, and I've been like sort of trotting it around and. Um, I, it's a book about Parsha study, the, what we do here. And, um, and so buy my book. If you haven't bought my book, actually, I should probably put the, the Amazon link in. I just, uh, like if I'm really doing self-promotion, like, do I, do I really know how to do self-promotion here? Um, but, uh, but okay. So the reason that I mentioned the book is because I, 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 it's a book about the study of the Parsha. Look, somebody's got it. Ellie's got it. Thank you getting it <laughs> but I mentioned it I feel like I you know if no if nowhere else I should probably promote it here every once in a while but um but it's a book about the study of the Parsha but it started because I was I was writing a blog um on the Parsha and the reason I started a blog I mean it is because I, I love this um genre of of Torah commentary which this book is about and I and I had a great love for it in general but the blog in particular started um, because I was, I was in, in my study of Torah commentary, I was coming across, I started finding very weird things, like weird stories and tales, legends that, that felt like in the realm of, of fantasy. And, um, and I was surprised by that. Some of, some of the, the, the wild and, and fantastic stuff that I was seeing in the, um, in, in the, in the annals of, of, of Jewish Torah commentary. It was just so surprising stuff. So um, here's, an, here's an example of it uh, for another time. But um, I once, one of the great sort of journeys that I, that I have gone down in my study of Torah commentary, um, I talked about in this podcast here, I, I, I'm promoting everything today, right? So I have this podcast called Best Book Ever. And um, this one is on unicorns and mermaids which like you like you start with the dolphin there's a dolphin in the torah that already is like quite strange and then you start investigating you, you, that catches your eye so i say all this in in part to promote myself and in part um to say that that's this is the way that torah study works or at least has worked for me and it and and at its and it's most fun and exciting it works like this you see something odd and then you go and you look at the commentaries and things just start to get stranger because you see something in there that oh, what what's going on here and do Jews really believe this and what you know like look at these um these these great uh legends that the rabbis are presenting as explanations of the Torah which has in itself some some wild fantastic stuff but sometimes um but actually you know apart from a miracle here or there the Torah tends to take place here in this realm um, so you don't expect uh, monsters and dragons, okay, or unicorns or mermaids. But today, today we're gonna we're gonna see a dragon, okay. So let's uh, let's say a blessing and uh, and we'll get into it. And um, and and I hope you you'll find some of the delight that I find in just sort of seeing some of the wild stuff that is in our tradition. And and then and then we'll try to to actually um, make some kind of meaning or sense of it. Okay, let's say a blessing of our study. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kibshanu Mitzvotav Mitzivanu LaAsok B'Divrei Torah. Thanking God for for giving us a tradition that we can go deep, 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 deep into and um, and and discover discover things. Okay, so um, let's begin. So here's here's where we're um, we're starting, and the other reason that I that, that I hyped this book of mine um, uh, is that uh, in this book I'm clearly fixated on on a particular section of this uh, parsha because I talk about the same section in this book, but 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 there's a, I take it in a different direction, and the the section that I'm that I'm writing about, so to speak, this week in this book is the is the the moment when um, it's pretty well known when Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they cast their staff on the ground, 
and it turns into a, into a, well, it turns into a serpent. Okay, that's the translation we're soon going to see. And then Pharaoh and, uh, but it, it's a little anticlimactic because then Pharaoh and his magicians, sorcerers, Pharaoh's sorcerers do the same thing. They throw their staff down and they also become snakes. So it suddenly feels like a little embarrassing. Like, it, it, is this like a, this is like a parlor trick, you know, like what, what's going on here? And, and any old magician can do it, right? Um, but then there's a there's a twist, there's a surprise um, at the end. And and uh, here, let's start. Let's start with that. Let's just take a look at that. So our our first source today is in Exodus chapter seven. And uh, in ooh, let's say here, and in Exodus chapter seven, um, God says to they've already gone to Pharaoh. By the way, let my people go. They've already said that um, last week, and Pharaoh said get out of my face. And in fact, I'll give your people more, more suffering. <laughs> um, so, uh, so now things are going to, you know, start getting a little more intense. And, uh, and yet, as I said, uh, intense, uh, they will get, they will turn in, there will be plagues. But this, in, this initially doesn't seem like such a big deal. When Pharaoh speaks to you and says, produce your marvel, you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it down before Pharaoh, and it shall turn into a serpent. And this is our key word for the day, tanin. This is the key word for the day, tanin. Here it is in uh, transliteration. And the translation, the first translation that we will see, this is, so, so far I haven't changed any of the translations. The first translation we'll see is serpent. So that you take your, your, your rod, Remember, they would, you know, you know, the image of the prophet with a staff in his hand, and they'd throw the rod down, and it turns into a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh, and did just as the Eternal had commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod in the presence of Pharaoh and his servants, and it turned into a serpent. Yep, it, it worked. Then Pharaoh, for his part, summoned the sages and the sorcerers and the Egyptian magician priests, in turn did the same with their spells. Each cast down his rod, and they turned into serpents, taninim. Oh, but what's the twist? But Aaron's rod swallowed their rods, right? <laughs> so, like, there's nothing cool about the story anyway, just because, you know, like, ah, ha, ha, you think you can do the same thing. But actually, there seems like there's some extra power at play and Aaron's rod swallows their rods. Okay. Um, that's the scene. And the question is, I mean, as I said, it's, it's kind of cute, less than you know more than than it is staggering or terrifying what's the meaning of that what's a what's going on here why why this initial display um you know because presumably we can ask the question what is the deeper meaning here because you know th these things are clear these are signs they're literally called like a a display a mofet a sign a, a wonder so they're meant to be communicating something. Look at what God can do. And it's very, you know, specific stuff. Show this, this particular trick. Is it just a trick? Well, you know, um, uh, you know, maybe, but, but, but they did do them one better. Now, what does it mean? So the first, I just want to give you one of the seed in our conversation, one of the classic um, interpretations, and this is really like a, a beautiful illustration of how even there's even Torah commentary in the later parts of the of, of Tanakh of the Hebrew Bible. Because Ezekiel is the prophet much later than the Torah, um, whose reading we read in connection to Parshat Vayera. We read it this week as the Haftarah, the additional prophetic reading. And the reason we do is because Ezekiel's got kind of a read on this serpent uh, staff thing. And so let's just bring Ezekiel's reading into our, uh, into our, into our minds um, before we take off in a different direction. But this is important too. Ezekiel says, speak this words, thus said the Lord God, I'm going to deal with you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, mighty monster sprawling in your channels. Okay, now... We just have to pause here well, because 
we have the word tanin that we had above, tanin, which we translated there as serpent. But the, the this is JPS uh, translation. Um, the word down here is translated as monster. So that's already should be catching our attention. Wait, is it a serpent or is it a monster? I mean, a snake is kind of, you know, like a kind of a scary animal, but it's not a monster. So suddenly it's a monster. Okay, so let's just keep note of that. And then, oh, Pharaoh, king, king of Egypt, you're the monster. You're the monster. And you, uh, you said, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws. I, I, God, I'll put hooks in your jaws, you mighty monster, and make the fish of your channels cling to your scales. I will haul you up from your channels with all the fish of your channels clinging to your scales, and I will fling you into the desert with all the fish of your channels. You shall be left lying in the open, ungathered and unburied. I have given you as food to the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord, because you were a staff of reed to the house of Israel. When they grasped you with the hand, you would splinter and wound all their shoulders. And when they leaned on you, you would break and make all their loins unsteady. Okay, kind of glorious writing there. Um, but the point is, Ezekiel has one reed on our scene. And we have this scene of the, the snake and the staff. And the, read is, the, the, the reading um, is that... Pharaoh is the snake slithering around in his Nile, but not just any snake, a big snake, a monster slithering around in the Nile. And Pharaoh is also somehow the staff that will be broken. Now, we could spend the rest of our time just talking about that. What does it mean that Pharaoh's the reed or the snake? Or the, like, is, is, like, how do we read that back into the Torah? But I, I, I just want it hanging in the air for now. I don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to, to, to flesh out Ezekiel's um, interpretation because we're going to go in a different direction. Or at least we're going to go back. We're going to go back because this word, tanin, which I said is going to be our key word, has now been translated as serpent, i.e. snake, and monster. Okay. Now, where else have we seen that word before? I'm trying to like, what, what does it mean? What is a tanin? And where have we seen it before? It appears very, very prominently in the Torah. Early on. Okay. I'll let you like guess or shout out to yourself. Um, this is the kind of thing like if you're in a live classroom, someone shouts it out, but on Zoom, it's probably not worth um, clicking in for it. But if someone shouted out, you're right. <laughs> it's way back in the first chapter of the of the Torah. First, first chapter. The Tanin is mentioned and mentioned very prominently. And this connection, this is the connection that's really going to set us off on our journey today. So let's take a way back to the beginning of the Torah to try and figure out what a tanin is because we haven't seen a tanin since then, okay? That's significant. It's been it's mentioned once and then suddenly Moses and Aaron are throwing them down on the ground. Okay, so let's take a look at the first chapter of the Torah, no less. Okay, here's the first chapter of the Torah. God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. We are now on the fifth day of creation, right? Creation is seven day process, we're on the fifth day. God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and birds that fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And God created the great sea monsters. Okay, that's again, the translation you get from JPS. Did you, did you ever notice that? You know, like reading through the early account of creation, it's like the stars and the grass and the sea monsters. It's like, what? what? What kind of story is this? I mean, look, it's God. It's supernatural in some way. But why all of a sudden sea monsters? Why that translation? Why that translation? Okay, let's just finish that passage. And then we'll ask the question. Why, why do our translators, commentators, our tradition look at this word and think something monstrous is going on here? So let's Let's finish. So God created the great sea monsters and all the living creatures of every kind that creep 
which the water brought forth in its swarms, and all the winged birds of every kind. Okay, so now everything underwater, everything in the sky, but we started with those great sea monsters. And God saw that this was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fertile and increase. Let's turn that into the, the, the classic. Be fruitful and multiply. I like the, the echo of that because we know that phrase, be fruitful and multiply. Through urvu. That's the phrase we know. <laughs> okay, that's our, that's our first big clue. Fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Okay, so this is going to really set us off. This, these sea monsters, we're going to be go chase these sea monsters down like, like Captain Ahab. But um, what, 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 what gives here? <laughs> what gives the, tr the translator the right to call these sea monsters? We're soon going to see that this is exactly where the Talmud goes, where Rashi goes, where the tradition goes. But is there anything you saw just now that would lead you to believe that these Taninim are the, the, the great sea monsters? Like, was there something in there that indicated we were not just talking about regular animals? Matt? Um, it's a chaos monster. It, I think it relates to the opening verse about, about the waters and God separating the waters. And so it also has to relate to Pharaoh as Pharaoh is presented there as a God. So these are great, big, serious, horrible things. And we're announcing God's control of them, that God is... These aren't things that God struggles against as equals. These are things that God has control of because our God is of everything. Ooh, okay. Matt has, as usual, given us a lot to deal with right up front and, and much appreciated. Okay. Um, something I, I hadn't thought of at all, um, which feels important here. These are the creatures of the water. And remember that the water was there before there was light. There was like the water on the surface of the deep and the deep and the deep. And it was chaos and void. And the chaos seems related to the deep. And so the thing that comes out of the water, out of the deep, that's some sort of primal, like, great force of perhaps of chaos, right? Some terrifying great force under those waters. Now. I want to just like really like sound an echo there under those waters because I think that's one of the I want to say like almost like one of the like the themes the, there's a literary theme here but it's also like kind of a, a theme of of human psychology a kind of fear of what's down there under those waters and what lurks beneath the surface of the water, okay? And says Matt, and you might imagine there's like another world or another God or another great force down there. You can feel it coming up, but remember these, the monsters in this world are, are created by God, all right? They are, are subservient to God. Okay, so that, that was just a lot. And there's, you can feel our, our, our cauldron of legends beginning to bubble. Okay, uh, Noah. Yeah, I always thought that this was interesting, but then I was thinking, what this almost that for a description, it's calling back to when I'm going back a, not that far as you went in the Torah, but to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dream when Joseph was there, he had seven cows eating another seven cows. So now God's bringing telling Moses to throw down his staff and he's get, making a huge serpent, a huge monster or whatever it is that's eating all the staffs of the Egyptians. And it's saying, I'm the greatest God there is. No God's greater than me. And that's like all the other mythologies like Greek mythology, Hindu mythology, Egyptian mythology all have these God monsters fighting each other. 
and now our god is throwing his hat in the ring and saying, I'm the greatest god there is. My monsters are greater than all of yours. Okay, okay, good. So okay, so uh, picking up again on on the some of the language that Ezekiel gave us, and this is important, Ezekiel imagines Pharaoh to be the representation of the great, the great other monster because Pharaoh is positioned like the other great force or God in this universe. And also maybe Pharaoh represents a different kind of religious culture where there are multiple gods, monsters, you know, creatures. And the message here, Ezekiel's helping us to, that's why I wanted us to hear Ezekiel early on, um, to, to remember as we see the, the figure of the Tanin, of this serpent begin to grow into a monster, it's like, oh yes, this is a kind of a war of the worlds that's going to play out where God is asserting, it doesn't matter if there's a pharaoh, it doesn't matter if you think there are great powers and beasts, and I am the I am the the above them all. I am above them all. Okay. All right, good. Um, let's take a, a Yael and, and Leah, and then we'll and then we'll push forward into the legends themselves. I think there's an intimation here of a paradox in that the Leviathan is our celebratory meal in the Zmana Mashiach. So these Leviathanim, yes, they're they're terrifying. And I and I love what you said about the war of the worlds, but also this Leviathan will serve us mm. literally. This is our food. And that's the the most celebratory of all of the foods okay okay so l is is getting three steps ahead of us very 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 keen um and and into it's exactly where we're going next so let's just back up a step and try to explain some of what is what is cl talking about what the we will feast on the on the and she says the leviathan or you may know in the in the english the latinate uh leviathan the Leviathan. Why is Yael mentioning the Leviathan? Well, that's exactly what Rashi does. So let's, part, I'll, pardon me, Leah, I'll circle back to you. But since Yael mentions it ex ex explicitly, let's go take a look now at Rashi, who gives us a kind of, as usual, a condensed version of all of the legends of the Talmud and the Midrash. Rashi is our, is our medieval French commentator that that's exactly what he does. And he does it here in the book of... Um, of Genesis chapter one, when the Torah mentions the um, the Leviathan, the Leviathan, oh, sorry, now I'm confused. The Torah mentions the Taninim, um, these great serpents, these sea monsters. Let's take a look at what Rashi says. Rashi says, what are Taninim? They are the large fishes that are in the sea. Okay, the, he gives two answers. This is the like, well, I don't know. It goes on to say, all of the living creatures of every kind. So it must be there were just some big fish and some little fish. In fact, the King James translates it as the great whales. Okay, so that's interesting as well. But Rashi says, that's the simple way to read it. The large fishes are in the sea. But in the words of the legend in the Talmud, this is the Leviathan. This is the Leviathan. And its mate, which God created male and female. Okay, so there in creation, God went out of God's way to distinctly create the Leviathan. Now, what is the Leviathan? We'll have to we'll have to keep digging to get a description of that. But some there's that sounds like a word for a sea monster, right? And it's mate, male and female. But God killed the female and preserved it in salt for the benefit of the righteous in the time to come. Now that is, what did you, whoa, what, what, what just got said? What just got said, but that's, but let me just finish. For had they been permitted to be fruitful and multiply, the world could not have endured bef uh, before them. Sorry, before them. Okay, now this is a careful, even though it's a wild, wild story, it's a careful reading as usual of the Torah itself. Because remember, God said to the sea creatures, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And of course, where else have we seen that? Actually, we haven't seen it yet. This is the fifth day. It's not until the sixth day that we'll hear that God created humankind, also male and female. 
And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so the Leviathan, or sorry, the Taninim, they're these, these specific uh, creatures that are named in the way that, that the human is named and given the same blessing. So it's not hard to imagine that it's almost, there's almost like a parallel there, underwater and above water. There are great creatures below and there are great creatures above. And I'll just, for those of you who really like the Hebrew parallelism, I'll just say one more thing, which is that this word created, aside from in the beginning God created, it only appears twice in the, um, in the creation story. Once here before the Taninim, and once here before humankind, okay? So lots of parallels there, and you can begin to see how then the rabbis of the Talmud think like, oh, there were the male and female special creatures below, there are male and female special creatures above, but God said be fruitful and multiply to the, to the great sea creatures. And if they had, if they really are leviathans, if they really are monsters, then we're starting to deal with a kind of a terror because what if they start mating and eventually swallow the world? They're so much bigger than we were afraid of what's down there. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. I hope you're enjoying yourself because now we're in it. Like this is like, wow, what is happening here? We haven't tied any of the ends up, but like we went from the, the serpent that the staff turned into to like some suggestion that maybe that represents Pharaoh to start to and, and to to back to the to the creation story where we we see this word for the first time and it's monstrous it's translated monstrously and now we're dealing with the the legend of the leviathan and then the the talmud says since one of them had to be killed right it lest they mate what happened with that i mean it was a great creature so you can't let that go to waste so it's preserved in salt and it will be the feast the great feast in the days of the when when the Messiah comes, the righteous will be served a nice slice of Leviathan. <laughs> all right, so that's where we're at. All right, with all that said, and not really fair to Leah, but I'm going to circle back to Leah, who may be um, maybe thinking about something we said uh, just just before we we unraveled. Uh, so Leah, what, what are you? Uh, where, where are okay. you at? Okay, I'm I'm. Um thinking that there is less less of a mythic feeling, but there's real terror. And Ezekiel is looking at it from the point of view of the Jews. The Nile is a terrifying place. It's the genocide place. It's the torture place. Mm -hmm. And Pharaoh, who gave the order that all the, the males born to the Jews should be thrown into the Nile and killed, he, he is a monster. And, and that's the place where he lurks. Um, Moses, when I was a kid, he used to be called Moses in the bulrushes. So how nice now that we have Pharaoh, who's sort of like a, a, a splintery reed without any power at all. And Moses is the one that got away out of the evil place, out of the torture place. He's the he's one that got away. They didn't get him. They didn't put their hooks into Moses, and here he is mm. with the stick now threatening Pharaoh. Um, it's high drama for me. It's real yeah. good. Yeah, good. Okay, good. So again, every time we take a step forward in this like monster direction, we have to go back and, and do what Leah's doing and read it back into the story because Ezekiel was right. Ezekiel's on to something here, which is that surely... If the Torah mentions the Taninim, whatever they are, in its first chapter, gives them specific designation, specific creation, specific blessing, right? And then just moves on, never talk about him again, until suddenly Moses throws it down in front of Pharaoh. Moses is saying something there. God is saying something there with this image. And Ezekiel, and I think it's a natural reading, wants to read as, you're the monster. You, Pharaoh, you're the monster slithering through your Nile. You're like a sea monster. You think, and you're the monster down below. But I am the great force up above, right? So you can see how it's like, you know, Pharaoh is of the Nile. God is of the heavens. So there's, there's, 
You can feel that tension there. You can feel that tension there. Okay, so that's one read. All right, that, that's we've already really gotten somewhere, but now we're gonna now we're gonna keep going a little bit. So the Leviathan, the Leviathan. It, 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 it's mentioned in in this uh, in this legend from the Talmud, and it's very vivid and salting. And um, but where but where where do we get that idea of the Leviathan? I know it from Thomas Hobbes, right? But I I don't do I where is it where does it come up in the Torah? Well, it does in a number of places. The Leviathan is mentioned. The most um, Again, to use that word again, the most vivid description is in the book of Job. And the book of Job is a book of, 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 of unjust suffering. And when God asks, or when, when God is questioned by Job, like what, you know, how could you, you know, I've suffered so much. God's response is, is essentially, do you even know what I am? Do you know how great I am? Do you know how little you, little you understand what I am? And one of the ways that God does that is to say, do you know what I've created? You have no idea what I've created. You think that I've only created these animals? One of the things I created is the Leviathan. And take a look at the Leviathan description from the book of Job. Um, really beautiful stuff here. Can you draw out Leviathan by a fish hook? Can you draw out Leviathan by a fish hook? By the way, who did draw out uh, the, the tanin with a fish hook? Right, we saw that above in, in Ezekiel. I the God will draw you out with a fish hook. Okay, but can you draw out Leviathan by a fish hook? Can you press down his tongue by a rope? Can you put a ring through his nose or pierce his jaw with a barb? Okay, and now here's where things start to get monstrous. Who can pry open the doors of his face? His bared teeth strike terror. His protective scales or his pride locked with a binding seat. One scale touches the other, not even a breath can enter between them. Each clings to each. They are interlocked so they cannot be parted. His sneezings flash lightning and his eyes are like the glimmerings of dawn. Firebrands stream from his mouth. Fiery sparks escape. Out of his nostrils comes smoke as from a steaming boiling cauldron. His breath ignites coals Flames blaze from his mouth. Right? Like, there you go. That's like, there you have it. My goodness. What is this thing? What is this thing, the Leviathan? Now, again, it's underwater. It's a it's a slithering thing underwater, but like those last descriptions really begin to sound. Oh, like my mom is showing a, a picture of the Leviathan in her on her screen that looks that I think looks a lot like a dragon. So they, like we're, we're just about there. We're just about, we have just about suggested that the Leviathan is actually the, the water dragon, the water dragon, okay? And now Job has described this thing. It, you know, you, you see images of it here and there, and the Talmud takes that image and takes the, uh, the 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 distinction of the taninim in the first chapter of Genesis and sort of brings them together to say, ah, that's what God created and then had to slay to show God's power. And then um, so and and so the Leviathan then is the is at once the most terrifying thing on the earth and also the thing that God controls, right? Like Pharaoh is the most terrifying thing on the earth and is also ultimately the thing that God controls okay so okay we're, we really we really gotten somewhere where we're almost uh, at at the at the dragon himself but not not quite there so let's let's uh let's pause for a moment and hear what laura and then emily have to say thank you um yeah so i wanted to talk about joe briefly just briefly because there's plenty of text for that particular story. Um, is he an unjustly suffering servant? I, I'm not really sure where that came from. The unjustly suffering servant. We've raised what? the issue of God saying, um, who is this uh, who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? 
and then goes on to sound slightly sarcastic, like, were you there when I did this? And then who did this? Surely, Job, you know. Um, and, and then I think to turn immediately to Job's response would wait, be- Wait, wait, can I, can I stop you there? Because we're on a little bit of a tangent here, because I don't, we're not going to be, no way going to be able to resolve um, whether Job suffered unjustly or not in this conversation. I did mention that, and it's because the story is framed as Job, Job being a perfectly righteous man that nevertheless, the Satan comes and says, I can make him confess. It, it's, it's, if you don't like that description, that's fine, but, it, but let's just like, let's save it for another another time um, you want me to tie down the, the the two themes and i'll do it quickly so first of all um he made leviathan for sport is in the psalms and if we have any questions about god's power and position in relation to anything that he created it's answered both in job and right here with pharaoh and moses great okay thank you that's helpful um uh, emily I just have a quick question. I noticed that in Ezekiel, it doesn't actually say tanin or taninim. It says tanim, memsofit, which oh. to me reads as jackal or as being related to the word for to give. And obviously, we don't treat it that way because it's translated as, you know, the sea monster. But I'm curious about that thing. Uh, okay, great. Uh, let's just clarify that because, uh, you know, we're, we, we're circling back around on this word, this Hebrew word, and it does appear in different forms. And actually, Emily's question is, allows us to consider uh, like the visual, the even the visual um, uh, of, of the word tanin. And let's take a look at, at how it appears here, because there is something else interesting about that. So first of all, we, we started with the word tanin, this word here, which is in the singular. And that's why it has a nun sofit, tanin, or a, a final nun, as they sometimes say. Um, and then even by the end of this passage, we have taninim, which is the plural. And the, the, this ending here with this dot and the mem, the mem sofit, takes it into the plural, okay? So that's the difference between these is just sometimes, and, and in, in Genesis, um, we started with the taninim, the plural, okay? But by the time we get to Exodus, we're in the singular form, but that's the difference between those two forms. It is also true, and, and I think interesting, I, I like as we're talking about the tanin and then connecting it to the Leviathan, well, let me scroll all the way back up to the top one more But time. it's not, it's, in Ezekiel, it's not taninim. It's tanim. There's no second. Right. Oh, oh, in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel. That's true. That's true. Hatanim agadol. That you know, the truth is, I, I'm not sure. That's a really good question. That's that's, really that's good, good to hear. Sometimes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't catch that. And you're you're right. That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, there are sometimes variations in the way things are spelled in different eras of Hebrew, but I actually, I didn't, I didn't catch that. I didn't look it up. So I, I will do that after class. I, I want to point out one, thank you for that question. I want to point out one other thing here, which is that litanin, litanin, it turned into a tanin. If you just look at that visually, it also looks a lot like leviatan. Leviathan. So that I, I say that not to say that they are linguistically related, but that's even another reason to begin to visually associate them. Okay, so you can see how these these legends sort of start to get drawn out here, one from the other. Okay, there's one more uh, step that we need to take to get to the uh, the dragon and <laughs> the dragon itself. And in doing that, I want to also um, you, we're going to make kind of two connections at, at once here. And uh, the, the scripture that does that for us is Isaiah, okay? We looked at, at the, most, um, uh, the most elaborate descriptions of the Leviathan in, uh, in Job. And as Laura said, it also appears in Psalms, the Leviathan, but uh, it appears here in Isaiah. And the language in Isaiah 
it's interesting and also gives us a translation. Again, I didn't translate this. JPS translated this. But take a look at what we finally arrive at here. In that day, the Lord will punish with God's great, cruel, mighty sword, Leviathan, the elusive snake. Leviathan, the twisting snake. And then this is not my translation. God will slay the dragon of the sea. The dragon of the sea. Now, the, that dragon, I don't know. <laughs> Can you really translate it as dragon? That is once again our friend, the Tanin. Okay. But the, when they were translating, that was the best word they could figure out to describe this thing is indeed a dragon. So we have we've arrived at a, at a connection to uh, to the dragon of, of Game of Thrones. Right. So ta-da, we got there. We got to the dragon. We basically had already gotten there with Job. But there's one other thing that I want to, to, to do with that verse from Isaiah. Because that verse from Isaiah tells us almost explicitly that the Leviathan is this, you know, maybe it's this great creature breathing fire. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe there were only two of them and God created them. And maybe it's like a, a, an, a, an epic kind of monster, but it is also, what else is it? What else is it? It's a snake. It's a snake. Okay. It says that explicitly and uses the language of snake right here. Um, Leviat Leviathan Nachash, the elusive snake. Leviathan Nachash. Okay. So the Leviathan can be a big slithering sea monster, but on some level, that sea monster, how no matter how big it is, is related to, is in the family of, is in the house of the snake, the snake. And I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better to, to really make this point that whatever else the Leviathan is and that the Tanin is, because remember we have the word Tanin there also, it is, it is a great fiery monstrous creature, but it is still very much a snake. And I'll prove that to you, um, or do my best, by, um, by reminding us that um, we started with this scene of Moses and Aaron um, casting their rods down and it turned into a serpent, right? And that, you know, that was the, the natural translation there. But then we, oh, this whole time we've been wondering, well, is it the right translation? What is the, is that a, a monster? Did he turn it into a monster? Is it the Leviathan? And we've been investigating that all along. But I will just remind us that if we go back to a few chapters to last week's Parsha, when M Moses first meets God, Moses said, they're not, they're not going to believe me when I go back and I say, God sent me. And um, they're going to say, the eternal did not appear to you. And the eternal said to him, what is that in your hand? And he replied, a rod. And God said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground and it became a snake, a snake, not a tanin, but a snake. Okay. And then uh, Moses recoiled from it. And God said to Moses, put out your hand and grasp it by the tail. And he put out his hand and seized it. And it became a rod in his hand. Okay. So this trick in the Pharaoh's palace, this was like already, there was already a setup here, but in that setup, we were the 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 we referred to the stick that turned into a snake into a snake. So then, when we start using the word of tanin, it is clearly a snake on some level, but it is also now meant to evoke all of the taninim, all of the legends around the taninim that we've been that we've been gathering. Okay, so now we're at a really, I think, a really interesting place, and um, and 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 now we can think a little bit about, okay, so if the tanin for whatever else it is is still a snake, then what 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 symbolic meaning does that have for Moses and Pharaoh as Moses casts this snake into his face? Okay, all right, so let's let's keep moving a little bit, and um, I'll turn to Alexandra and then Payam. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to answer that question. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to explain my point uh, coherently, <laughs> but um, thank you for this class. This is very fascinating. Um, 
the story that's forming in my mind, linking all these pieces together, and you may have mentioned it, I had to tune out at the beginning for something that came up, but um, so forgive me if this has already been mentioned. Um, the, what's forming, the story that's forming for me is all of this, these snakes, these leviathans, these sea creatures as the, um, the metaphor for the deep dark crap within all of us. And what's so fascinating is that that was all created before humans were created and how and how and Judaism had does have reincarnation the revolving of the soul and so however you want to think about it we all come in here with all kinds of stuff in our subconscious that that isn't even from this lifetime it could be from however you want to whatever you might think from the separation from God from ancestral trauma from past lives all of it we have all this stuff in the deep, dark oceans of our beings, of our psyche, of our subconscious minds. And there are all these sea creatures and sea monsters that could destroy us, could destroy others, that could control us. But Moshe, I love the, um, and, and it's all before we're even formed as our individual bodies in this lifetime. And Moshe, he was, he was scared of the snake that just um, appeared to him when he threw down his rod. But then God said, grab it and forced him to have courage. And once he had courage to, to actually touch it, it was no longer a snake and it was no longer terrifying and it no longer held power over him, um, which I just love very much. So, Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So Alexandra, by her own admission, is in sort of like, you know, murky waters. They're like, you know, trying to search for exactly... And I really, I really relate. I really feel like there's something really primal here that's almost difficult to put your finger on, but it's because what we're talking about here is the sort of the struggles of our humanity, the, the creatures within, the, the thing which is lurking beneath our waters. And Alexander does such a sort of beautiful job of describing that. Now, remember, I want to use Alexander's comments to begin to weave together like we we've got to the dragon okay we got there and <laughs> it's like um we have it we have a we have a dragon in our torah right we have unicorns and mermaids and dragons so we got there but i want to in these last um minutes that we have kind of take it to to merge all of these stories together take it to the next level a little bit by saying that the tanin has takes on all of the legends of the leviathan becomes this great monstrous creature, begins to represent a monster. The Pharaoh is that monster. There's like, it's all of the, the terror of that which is outside. But the Tanin is also the snake. And the snake is the creature that, that seduces us. The snake is the creature that brings us into our own inner war right, between the different forces within us, between the, the desire, between good and evil, right? So, so there's a kind of, like, the, the battle that is taking place outside between the great, the great, the sort of clash of the titans, right, between, like, the great snake, like Godzilla, and then the, the, the kind of the spiritual battle within or the human battle that is very much, um, that is very much the, 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 the story that we're, um, that we're considering in the, in the Garden of Eden and the representation of the like, of the monster in the Garden of Eden is the snake, right? And I, I think I would even go so far as to say, I mean, let me say the thing that I think is most like, like, you know, new reading here is that I, I think that when we first met the Tanin here in Genesis 1, God created the great sea monsters, right? And they were Taninim, right? And then God also created all the living uh, creatures of every kind that creep, which the water brought forth in swarms. I mean, the tanin is, th that's a different word than the snake, but it it's sort of like the family of, that the snake belongs to, 
right? And we see it, see that in Exodus, right? Same thing Moses throws down, it's a snake or it's a serpent or lots of different words for snake in this tradition. But God created the taninim and then God created the human, right? And it's like, these are the great creatures. This is the clash of the titans, right? These are the great creatures, the Godzilla and we're the King Kong, right? Like these are the great the, the creature above and the creature below and God above them all. But I say all this because if that's true, then it sets, it sets us up very well for um, chapter three in um, the book of Genesis, where suddenly the snake is our adversary. The snake was the shrewdest of all the wild beasts the eternal God had made. And it said to the woman, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? In other words, the first thing that the snake whispers to us is, oh, come on. You don't really believe in God, that God is, is, is your master, do you? Oh, come on. Don't you want to indulge in your desires? Oh, come on. Everything you've heard from this, this figure above is nonsense. Listen to me. Listen to me. And if that's so, then there is a remarkable parallel, again, between the story of the Pharaoh and God and Moses, right? Where the Pharaoh, again, is like, Pharaoh is the, the Tanin, is the Leviathan, is the monster, but Pharaoh is also the snake. Pharaoh is also the snake. And that battle between <laughs> the human and the snake, that's a battle actually in the way that's been going on since the dawn of time, right? Now, I, now what you might be asking at this point, what, what the hell are you even saying? <laughs> like, what do you mean the battle between the human and the snake? But it is like, there is a kind, there's a kind of a mythic language here that is, it is somewhat slippery. Like what does exactly mean? It's hard to say what it exactly means. Uh, again, we're in kind of murky waters, but there is some sense, even from the first chapter of the Torah, that there are great creatures above and there are great creatures below. And maybe there's a tension between them right? Because they both receive unique blessing. They're both told to propagate, but Adam is told to rule over the creatures of the sea, right? But maybe the Pharaoh story is like the creature of the sea, you know, trying to rule over us. Like there's, you see now how these stories sort of like weave in and out of each other, weave in and out, and out of each other. Okay, we're we're very far afield here, um, but I, 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 wanted, I wanted both to get to the dragon itself and then to tease out all the, the possibilities, because there is a way in which this is almost like, it's almost like the, the, ultimate, um, the ultimate myth, like the first myth, you know? And in the first myth, there was darkness on the, on the face of the deep, right? And the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then from those waters, as Matt said, comes, come these beasts, come these beasts. Do you know um, Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft? Right? H.P. Lovecraft des describes this, this, this like horror writer, um, it, 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 it describes this uh, of the, I think, early 20th century. I think that's right. I don't think it was 19th. Um, but describes the, the creature's from below, part of what's um, incredible about him is that he has these incredibly terrifying uh, monsters, but they all come from right here. Not, not always. There are sometimes some connections to what's above, but we think, we're always thinking about aliens, right? But, um, but Lovecraft described this underworld, Cthulhu, right? And it's like, again, tapping into, I think all horror taps into these like deep primal fears of like, what's down there? What's down there? And as Alexandra said, What's down there? What's down there inside of me? Okay. I see Alexander wants to pick up on that. So I'll let her. Thank you so much. I, I was also struck by how God is talking about how much effort it is to Job to draw out the Leviathan. Like you really can't do it alone. It's this enormous feat, this enormous task, which is maybe an explanation why God put him through all that suffering, because to draw out those inner demons is this task that only God can do and only a human can do with God's help. So good, I don't know. good, good. And that's important, you know, because here we like, 
like tangled everything out into like, you know, all these mysterious mythic battles. But the, but the bottom line here in the in the in Ezekiel, in Job, and most obviously and forcefully in Exodus itself is that whatever forces you fear inside or outside, the answer is that there's one force above all, and it's God. And God is more powerful than the Leviathan in, in a way that's that's infinite and unman, un, unimaginable, right? And God is more powerful than you, and God is more powerful than Pharaoh, and God is more powerful than our inner demons, right? And God is more powerful than our than the demons we fear outside, the monsters, both human and inhuman, that we fear outside of us. Okay. Um, let's see. Got a few more minutes here, so I, I'll. So anyone not anyone been uh, sitting on something they haven't had a chance to to share yet? Okay, I'm going to circle back to Matt. Yeah, Matt. Yes, yes. This um, I think this is is a almost polytheistic time or part of Judaism. I, I mentioned earlier that just in this chapter we have God saying, "I'm going to." To Moses, I'm going to make you as a, a, a god before Pharaoh. So I think there are very monotheistic parts of the Torah, and this is a less monotheistic because these monsters are great big things. They're okay, okay, okay. okay. Fair, fair enough. But I have to like argue with you a little bit, Matt, because um, you're right, and I also strongly disagree with you. You're right in the sense that we, and this is an important sort of point to end on. We we're just talking about like, how can you say that, Matt? We just talked about how God rules above it all. And yet Matt is right. When we talk about monotheism, we 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 have inherited now, like over time, our monotheism has been kind of honed and sharpened so that what we have is just like real monotheism means there's no other forces. There's just natural forces and then there's God and that's it. There's only one supernatural force. There's only one ultimate force and that's it. That's real monotheism. And if you start to detect other beings that also have supernatural powers, that's that's not pure monotheism. And Matt's right that in ancient, in ancient Judaism, you sometimes do get the feeling there are other beings, there are other creatures. Job itself has hasatan, the Satan. We came up with that word, right? But, and this is just really important. <laughs> it's really important to, to because I don't think, I, I think Judaism is, is consistent in one way, which is that God is always, always, in charge and all of the other creatures all of the other beings all of the there are different kinds of theology where there are sub you know levels of divinity and all of that but there 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 is no jewish theology i i think that unless i've missed one that has another being that is um that is a threat to god right that is a that is more powerful than than god um in fact the creature that God seems most disturbed or threatened by is probably us. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so anyway. that's exactly exactly what I was saying. There's sometimes it's God against these other things, and sometimes it's just God, and we sort of good. move okay, from good. one so to we, the other. We, we are we're in hundred percent agreement. agreement. Hundred percent right, agreement. Right, Chris, um, we're almost out of time. We are basically out of time. But I saw David just raise his hand. He hadn't had a chance to share before. Are you a thirty second or less? Comment? I, I have a question. I have a question. Okay, quick, yeah. the, very quick, it's related. I just wonder if you could make a comment. Um, one of the most interesting uh, things in all Tanakh is the, the copper serpent, the Moses, that whole thing. It's always been amazing to me that there's a, you know, that their rod is kind of like a, a serpent that's not alive and, the, and the, the rod becomes alive and then it's a serpent. You know, it's like that kind of thing. And that that story of the copper serpent, does it have any place in here that you can think of? Good. Yes. The The answer is, is, is obviously we can't we can't talk about it now, but it is important that you mention this, that like the snake, it, there are many words for snakes, as I said, in our tradition. And part of the reason is that the, the, the figure of the snake appears in all kinds of places and God sends fiery snakes and then they stick up a, a, a bronze nuhushatan, they later call it. Like they do this a couple of times in our people's history, a kind of a bronze snake that you're supposed to look at or a copper snake that you're supposed to look at in order to be healed from, um, from the snake. But I mean, 
this is what talk about weird stuff. We'll we'll have to wait till we till we get there um later in the um in the book of, of numbers, but um it's a it's just good to note it because it's it, it's we we see this figure, this slithery figure who appears after all right in the beginning of our story. The snake never really leaves. The snake is always sort of slithering around. So the pharaoh is also the snake. Right. And uh, our greatest fears are also the snake. And um, the greatest thing that Job doesn't know is also the, sna the snake. The snake stays with us as a kind of like um, uber uh, archetype, right? That represents the other thing, the other being, the other side, the other, the other entity that we are, that we are battling sort of psychically and on some level cosmically throughout history. Boom. Okay. I think we're done now. Let's let's end here. All right, everyone. Wishing you a good Shabbos. Take care. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Thank you all. Thank you. Great Thank you. talk as usual. I hope I didn't annoy anyone.